Hey guys, welcome back to the Wisdom and Stuff podcast. I'm your host, Daryl Boucher, and this is where we cut through the Christianese and tradition-based thoughts that hinder us from the limitless lifestyles that we as actual children of God are designed to walk in. So let's go ahead and dive into the Word and see what the Holy Spirit has for us. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Yes, hallelujah. Let's just enter in. Just lift up the name of Jesus, the name above every name. Praise God. Father, we worship you and we just thank you. Yes, glory to God. Just lift him up. His name is higher. His name is higher. His name is higher. Jesus is the name. Jesus is the name. We carry that name. We're in that name. He is in us and we are in him. And we lift up the name. We lift up who Jesus is. We lift up who we are in you, Father God. We thank you for Christ in us, the hope of glory. We just give you glory and praise right now in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. As we enter in tonight, we allow the Holy Ghost, we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us into all truth. Praise God. We thank you, Father God, that you have created us and designed us to come into this place. You created us and designed us to come boldly to the throne of grace. We might obtain grace, mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so I thank you, Lord God, that we come in boldly by our high priest. Teach us of our high priest tonight. We just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Well, we've been just going over these things. I tell you, um, just understanding the high priest is such a big deal. We, we see chapter after chapter through the book of Hebrews talking about the high priest. He devotes whole chapters to it um, because it's a, such a big deal. And, uh, and as we've been getting into this the last you know, few weeks, basically, just talking about how we need to, we need to understand that if the, if, the, if the Jewish people back in the Old Covenant could live a life that was prosperous, that was blessed, that was confident, that was bold. They, they, they approached things through the filter of knowing their high priest did his job, then how much more should we? How much more should we allow the high priest and, and the, our living relationship with the high priest, how, should we, how much more should that influence how we live? And this is what the, the Apostle Paul, I believe, was, it was speaking by the Holy Ghost into the book of Hebrews to a Hebrew people saying, if you know the high priest, how his how his ministry affected the nation, then our high priest, how much more should he affect how we do things? Praise God. And that it all has to do with boldness now. See, in the, in the Old Testament, the high priest wasn't really about boldness. The high priest was about separation. That, that, that every time the high priest did something, it magnified separation. Now, my high priest represents me boldly. My high priest stands boldly so that I stand boldly with him before our Father God. Hallelujah. And so last time we were getting into uh, Hebrews chapter 7 and, uh, and just talking about the difference between the, the Levitical high priest, the one that was ordained by God uh, by, uh, to Moses through Aaron and all of that, versus Melchizedek and Jesus being under the order of Melchizedek and what the difference is in that in, in Hebrews 7. Um, but now we're going to get into chapters 8, 9, and 10 tonight. We're just going to we're just going to kind of peel right through them and uh, and just kind of go I want you to see it all in context, how it all lines out, how he's 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 over and over talking about this amazing ministry that we have because of our high priest. And um, now, now what we've been getting into, and uh, here's where I want to start. Turn turn over to to uh, Psalms one thirty nine. We've been talking about the fact that this is not really that my high priest. Uh, you know, this is not about the the, the cost. 
that it that it required. It was about what it was worth. It's about us, right? It's about who we are. And if we don't know who we are, then everything we see the high priest doing will still cause a sense of separation. It'll still cause this. It'll or it'll, it'll expose a sense of separation that we have in us. And if I feel you know like I'm not worthy to receive the high priest, or I'm not worthy of the price that was paid, then it'll actually put a sense of debt on us to where we think we have to pay it back, or we think that we're just not worthy to walk it out, or we think that, that, that God was just doing things out of, you know, just his, his mercy, his kindness, and he is merciful and he is kind. Praise God. But what we've been reading all through the book of Proverbs over and over again, different ones, how he's just and that everything he did, he did it justly because of who we are and how he designed us to be. And over here in Psalms 139, it says, verse 14, it says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are the works of, the, of, of are thy works, and that my soul knows right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being imperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which is in continuance um, were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand when I within the sand when I awake. I am with thee. I mean, notice here. I mean, he's saying we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God did not. God does not look at us as some kind of pitiful, reject, you know, clumsy, oafish, you know, beings that need to be rescued all the time. That's not what He sees us as. He doesn't see us as the, these these you know uh, sinful creatures that can never get it right. So He had to come and take care of it. That's not how He sees it because that's not how it was. He fearfully and wonderfully made us. You understand? And it says, and marvelous are the works of thy hands, talking about us. Right? And so here what he did, and it says, and if we knew how many thoughts, his, the, the thoughts he has toward us are more than the sands of the sea, and they are precious toward us. Because he fearfully and wonderfully made us. He made us in his likeness and his, in his image. And in doing so, he made us in such a way that sin has no, no context for us. Failure has no context. Limitation has no context. This is not our home. Okay? This this earthly thing is not our home. Heaven is our home. That's where we belong. That's where we're comfortable. That's where we're that's where we're um, familiar. That's where we fit in. And so what had to happen was he had to actually ordain a high priest that was equal and worthy to how he created us. Praise God. See, he wasn't, he wasn't you know, doing everything he did because of our inadequacy. He was doing everything he did because of our worth. Glory to God. He doesn't, he doesn't view us as, as those misfits who just can't get anything done right. He views us as his children who are fearfully and wonderfully made. And yeah, we've made mistakes. And yeah, we do things wrong. But at the same time, he knows our worth. He knows how he designed us. He knows who we are. And so what he did was he created a redemption. He created a, a, a system and a plan that we could be saved to the uttermost, praise God, so that we could come and we could actually re, uh, walk in a cell salvation worthy of us and worthy of him worthy of us that honors him praise god and we need to get this that, that he he did not 
He didn't just come to save sinners. He came to save his children who were tied to sin. Not justly tied to sin, but were unjustly tied to sin. And so, um, man, if we can get a hold of this through, if if we don't get who we are, then we're never going to understand the high priest. We're never going to understand our context with the redemptive walk, our context with eternal things, because we'll still view ourselves as just those that he took pity on, those he took mercy on, those who somehow don't deserve what he did. That is so false. You couldn't say anything more false by saying that we don't deserve what he did. We didn't earn it, but we deserve it. We don't deserve it because of what we did. We deserve it because of who we are. And he, and he, like we're talking about those just weights, he proves we deserve it by what he does because he's a just God. And so even though I don't deserve it by what, because of what I did, he, pre, he, he proves I deserve it by what he did. Glory to God. That is a big statement there. We need to get that. Glory to God. So anyway... Just getting into this this high priest. Let's get over to Hebrews. Talk about the this this new high priest. And that's in Hebrews chapter seven. We talked about that. How that's that's all about Melchizedek and how how Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek. This higher law, higher priesthood, higher everything, because we were worthy of more than what the Old Testament could produce. We were worthy of more than what the Old Covenant could produce through its sacrifices, through its high priest. We were worthy of more than that. The, 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 you know, those bloods of bulls and goats and all those other things, as we get into this in, in Hebrews 8, 9, and 10, you find that they couldn't do the job because of us, because we were higher than that. Okay, now, uh, you know, so, um, in, uh, oh my, praise God, uh, in ver- chapter 7, at the end of it, it says, um, for the law makes men makes men high priests which have infirmity, but the word of the oath which was since the law makes the son who is consecrated forevermore. Praise God. So he's saying this is a different high priest, not made because of a fleshly commandment, but made by the word of God. Verse chapter eight, verse one. Now, right now, now, of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. Praise God. So here he is. He says, this is the sum of it. If you want to know what what the, the point is, this is the point. We have a high priest. You know, we, what we need to do is we need to learn how to stop focusing on the variables of life and always focus on the sum. The conclusion of it is, I have a high priest. If I already know the answer, then what I can do is I can actually reverse engineer the, the situation. <laughs> You know, I, I don't need to, I don't need to, to, to go through all the factors of life and weigh them all out and say, well, yeah, but my the circumstances say this and my feelings say this and, you know, uh, uh, you know, all the whatabouts and what if I would have done this and what if I would have done that and maybe I need to do this and maybe I need to do that and weigh all these things out and, and say, well, if I do this and maybe this will happen if I do that maybe that'll happen. So, oh boy, that'll get you running all your life. But if you already know the answer, if you already know the sum of it, if you already know the conclusion, then you can begin with the conclusion. And it says here, the sum of all things is this. I have a high priest. Praise God. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on, on high. Praise God. That's, that's, that's the sum of all things. If I can just, you know, cross out all the variables that don't mean anything and just get to the sum of it and say, you know what? Okay, 
yeah, 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 my feelings say this, the circumstances say this, you know, uh, uh, all the all the whatabouts and the what-ifs and maybe and maybe, 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 blah, blah, blah. Um, all that can say all kinds of things. But the sum of it is this. The sum of it is, I have a high priest, glory to God. I have a high priest that's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. And he's a high priest for me. He's not a high priest just uh, for himself. He didn't come and be a high priest for himself. He's not ministering unto himself. He's ministering for me, praise God. He's ministering so that I can live based on his ministry. So I can live based on what he's done. And that's the sum of everything. And if we can just begin with the sum of it, if we can just begin with the conclusion of it, if we can begin with the result of it and say that the result, the sum, the conclusion of all things is this. I have a high priest. And now we can behold all the variables through the, through the conclusion. We can view all the variables through that and say, yeah, that, might be, that, that, that circumstance might have a voice here. It might, be, it might be trying to tell me something. But the sum of it is, I have a high priest. Glory to God. And so, um, we need to we need to start there. We need to start with having having the sum of the things. Now, so here he continues on, and he says he's a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle. So he's he he's not ministering over what any man has done. He is ministering what God has done. Praise God. I have a ministry of the high priest before God. Not because of what man has done, not because of what some earthly regulation has done, but before God himself. Verse 3. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore, it is of necessity that this man have something also to offer. For if he were on the earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law who serve under the example and the shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, um, uh, see that thou make all things according to the pattern shown to thee in the mount. So he's, he's talking about verse 6. But now, but right now, right now, okay, we need to understand this now. It's not tomorrow. It's not when we die and go to heaven. It's not just yesterday. It's right now, in this moment, in this very second, in this very breath. Let's just think on that. In this very breath, in this moment, right now, right now, there's a ministry going forth for you and I. Right now, there's the high priest. Right now, he is doing something. Right now, he is actually administering the grace, the mercy, the authority. He's administering the blessing. He's administering these things right now. Praise God. And we need to allow every thought right now to filter through that. We need to allow everything that we look at right now, everything that you're dealing with right now, your the job situation, your family situations, just decisions you have to make, you know, maybe condemnation or sin or confusion, whatever it is, just back all that up and say, no, 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 I have a high priest. And right now he's administering, he's administering the authority of God over you right now. And we need to humble ourselves to the ministry of the high priest right now. Verse 6, But now has he, Jesus, obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which is established upon better promises. Praise God. Now notice this. He is, uh, let's keep going. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the commandment, or the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant and regarded them not, says the Lord. 
For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put them in their, I will put my law in their mind, and I'll write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall teach not every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. Verse 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he says, a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which is decay, that, that is decays, and waxes old is ready to vanish away. Now that's the, that is all of chapter 8. And he's saying, now there's a better covenant. Now there's a higher priesthood. Now there, there's better promises, better covenants. Why? Because the old was limited to fleshly command. The old was limited to the ability of man to obey the law. Old, the old was limited. I mean, even the high priest in the old covenant was limited. He had, you know, his, uh, you know uh, cultural uh, you know, history says that he had a rope around his ankle in case he in case he died in the you know in the holy of holies right in case he died in there because he didn't do it right you see he was limited based on his ability to do something right he was limited based on his behavior he was limited and so he god is saying there was a covenant but the covenant was limited to the ability of man to behave properly and god never wanted us to be limited we're not designed for limitation we're we're greater than that we're made in his likeness in his image so he established a covenant glory to god he established a covenant with a better high priest called jesus after the order of Melchizedek, a better high priest who has done it perfect all the way, totally perfect all the way, who, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> who ever lives to make intercession for the saints. He ever lives to make intercession for the saints. And so here he is. He is perfected forever, and he is ever living to make intercession for us, not limited by disobedience, not limited by the by the ability or behavior of his flesh. And so now he is administering that covenant over us so that we are no longer limited to our flesh. We're no longer limited to a commandment of rules and regulations. Now we have the word of the endless life, the living word of God, tied to us, in us, in our spirits, flowing from our hearts, living in new, new and living water coming out. Praise God. And this is the this is the covenant. Not bound by some law or, or, or limited to obedience, but actually resounding from the throne of God, from the throne of life, and now God and His life can flow through us unrestrained and unlimited because we have a high priest that is not limited to obedience or disobedience, but actually sits in a place of perfection and authority and perfect boldness praise god now understand this is this is so huge because when we understand that our covenant is no longer based on the weakness of sin or the weakness of the flesh but on the strength of of our of of god himself but the strength of jesus himself our covenant and our authority steps up in, into this place of such boldness into the earth that it's it's totally limitless. And this is who our high priest is. And that's like I said, that's Hebrews eight. He's just saying this is the sum of it. This is what's happening right now. Glory to God! A new and a better covenant is happening right now, and we need to begin to get a hold of that. Now, chapter nine and verse one. He says, "Then verily, the first covenant had also ordinances and divine servants in a worldly sanctuary." Um, he says, but there was a, for there was a tabernacle. It talks about the tabernacle, right? And it says, after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. Now, um, which, which had the golden center and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold. Talks about what was in there. And, um, and then the cherubims. And verse 6, now when these things 
were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the servant of the, the service of God. Now uh, it goes on. But unto the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost thus signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made. Uh, was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service per- perfect as pertaining to the conscience. Now here he is. He's talking about this. Going there is um, there there's something going on here. He's going to, there was you know as long as that Old Testament tabernacle and and the levitical priesthood was still in motion it was signifying that the that the higher way hadn't been done yet right and um and he's in they, they would go in and they would do this thing you know they, they would do their their daily sacrifices they would do their their you know feast time sacrifices all this other stuff and then once a year the high priest would go into the holy of holies and do the day of atonement sacrifice for the sins of the people and now he here he is. He's going. This actually did something. It actually it actually did something. And we'll get into what it did here in a minute. But it says it never it never helped the conscience out. It never dealt with the conscience. So there was always as as we read on, we see that there's there's always this this constant reminder of sin in your conscience. They always had a sin consciousness because. No matter what you do in the flesh, fleshly obedience cannot perfect the conscience. Fleshly obedience, no matter how good you behave, that's why worldly religion will never do it. World religion only it can get you to act moral. It can get you to act kind. It can it can get you to to change the way that you act, but it doesn't change the fact that your conscience is still aware of separation between you and the Most High God, between you and your Father. Now, if you go, if we go on, it says, um, uh, okay, so they, they could not do anything as pertained to the conscience. Verse 10, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ, praise God, but Christ, oh, I love it, but Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come by what? By what is it? A greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, down of this building, neither by the flesh of goats and, and calves, but by his own blood. Praise God. By his own blood, he entered in how many times? Once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Now, we've been talking about boldness to come in, right? Boldness to come in. Think about this. How much boldness... Oh, even in the old covenant, there was the holy of holies, and you know that that carried the presence of God. In fact, in there there was no natural lighting. There was there was no artificial lighting. There was only the glory of God that lit that room up. Okay, there was no candles. There was no windows. It was only the glory of God that lit that place up. And and, and there that that wasn't you understand that was a a, a God instructed man made room to hold the, the ark of the covenant and these different things, and it carried the glory of God. But that was something on the earth, and yet even there, people did not have the boldness to come in. Even the high priest, he he had a rope around his ankle. That's not walking in very boldly, is it? 
right? <laughs> That's not walking bold at all. In fact, I was reading some historical data on the high priest, and there was a time of a few hundred years where they were going through, through basically more than one priest a year. And they said it was because they got really lax on just, the, just what it took to, to, to do the, the Day of Atonement and all the regulations and routine, you know, the ordinances, and they got lax about it, and so they had a lot of guys dropping dead in the middle of the Holy of Holies. And that's not even, here's what I'm going to get at, that's not what Jesus walked into. He didn't walk into a man-made uh, tabernacle. He didn't walk into a tabernacle made with hands. Like it says, he, made, he walked into that which is in the heaven itself, that which is the holiest of all, with his own blood. And he walked in boldly. How much boldness does it take to walk into the holiest of all, where God himself resides, where his holiness, is 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 every it, it, it encompasses every molecule it is all in all and he and Jesus as our high priest walked in boldly Jesus didn't have a rope around his ankle glory to God Jesus walked in boldly Jesus walked in so that we could walk in boldly he walked in and he said no 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 I know that I'm equal to this room I know that I belong in this room as the son of God himself I know that I have I have paid the price I know that I did what I was supposed to do and I walk and he walks in boldly with his own blood and takes care of it all so that we can walk in with the same level of boldness. Praise God. How much boldness does it take? How much boldness does it take to walk in to an infinitely pure and holy place where God is all in all? How can you walk in without just you know feeling so inadequate and so insecure? The only way we can do it is knowing who we are in Christ, knowing who we are as children of God, knowing that we belong there, knowing that this is not this is not a stretch for us. It's not an act of mercy for us to be there. It's not just something that was given to us because of his pity for us. It was something done for us because it's just for us to be there, because it's the right place for us to be, because we are the children of the Most High God. It's right for us to be there. Amen. And and we have to walk in boldly. Now, this is what he's talking about. I don't know, you know where I left off here. Um, somebody need to help me out here. Um, okay, verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in how many times? Once, glory to God, into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for who? For us, glory to God. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the appearing of flesh... Oh, my goodness. How much more? Let's say that. Verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Hallelujah. Notice that. Here it says there in verse 13. It says, um, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the puring of the flesh. What in the world is he talking about? Well, he's, he's saying that, that listen, he goes, the, the, what they did in the Old Covenant actually did something, right? They would kill a heifer, they would kill calves and goats, all these different ones, and it actually, it actually did something. It actually took care of that of that sin for a year so that Israel could actually walk in the fullness of the blessing. 
It did something, and it purified to the, to the flesh. In other words, there was something it did on the fleshly level that allowed the nation of Israel to walk in the blessing of God. It took away the effect of that sin for another year, it, it, and it took away the judgment of that sin for another year. It covered them for another year. It actually did something. And, and the reason why it did is because the blood of the bulls and the goats and that, they, that was innocent blood. It was animal innocent blood. They were not under the law of sin and death. They were, they're, they're innocent. And so here the, the, the innocent blood took care of for a year the, the sin of man over the nation of Israel. And that astounds me. But one of, one of the things that it speaks to me, and this is really kind of funny to me, is it speaks that, that sin apparently isn't that strong. The power of sin is not that strong if, a, if, 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 if the blood of one bull uh, could take care of it for a year. You hear what I'm saying with that? <laughs> if the blood of one bull, it didn't even take two bulls. It just took one bull, and it would cover the whole nation of Israel for a whole year so the blessing could actually go out. That tells me that sin is not that strong. That tells me that, that what God did was not about the strength of sin, but about the worthiness of us. That tells me that, that if sin, people magnify sin so much, and I'm not saying that sin is right, but sin is weak. Sin is always weak. In fact, when somebody sins, you know, I mean, I don't know if you've, you know, I've been saved, you know, a while, and I, I know what it's like to sin, right? But, you know, when I sin, I never feel strong. I never do. I never feel strong when I sin. What do I, I feel weak. Why? Because I gave myself to weakness. The nature of sin is weakness by, by, by definition. Sin itself is weak. And so when I give to the flesh, I'm giving to weakness because the flesh is weak, weak, but the spirit is actually strong. The spirit is actually of God. Right? And so now, here's the thing. Sin, we, 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 I don't, what God did was he was never, he was never blown away by the power of sin. That wasn't the issue. He was never overtaken by the power of sin. He's not arm wrestling the power of sin. Sin is weak. Sin is always weak. In fact, sin is so weak that we have to, we have to actually give it permission to reign in us, right? We actually have to yield to it. If we say no, sin has no place in us. Isn't that interesting? That our willpower is that much stronger than sin. That if we simply say no, sin has no place in it. it sin cannot overtake us. Sin cannot come, come upon us without our permission Right? If we have to give it permission, that means we're the stronger one. If we have to give it permission, it's, it's, sin is so weak. The new covenant was not about sin. It was never about sin. The new covenant is about us. The new covenant is about how strong we are. It's not about how strong sin was. It's about how strong we are, praise God. In fact, uh, let's just keep going here. Oh my goodness. Okay, let's see where I go. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit of offered himself without spot to God, purge our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause, he's the mediator of what? Of a New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that we were under, uh, the First Testament, that they, they should be called, um, they which are called, might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For which, it says, for where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of, is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator lives. Whereupon, neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. So here he's, he's saying, listen, he goes, uh, he's talking about a testament, talking about a covenant, talking about a will, right? The last will and testament, you know, you've heard the saying in legal terms and all that, you know what I'm talking about. 
Um, but he's saying, just because somebody writes a will, if they, if they write out a last will and testament, it's not any good unless they die, right? It's of no, it's not legally binding unless they die. But once they die, that is a legally binding document. And this is what he's saying is that God wrote out his legally binding document. And then there was the death of this testator. There was the death of the covenant producer. And so when the covenant producer dies, the the strength of that covenant is enforced by his death. But then what's cool about that is that he rose from the dead. Glory to God. And so what he did is he rose from the dead. Now, if you you ever been through family stuff where there's a will, you know, even though there's a will, after somebody dies, there's a will, you start going through the will, people can still contest the will because they can contest what was meant by it. They can contest what somebody actually intended or if they were in their right mind or whatever. And so people, because of greed and nonsense, you know what I'm talking about, they, they contest the will. But uh, Jesus, he not only died, he not only sealed the covenant, he not only enforced the covenant, he not only ratified the covenant by his death, but he rose again so that there would be no question as to what he meant by it. So he lives on the inside of you and I, so that when the enemy comes and says, no, he didn't really mean that, Jesus goes, oh yes, I did. Let me tell you exactly what I meant by that. And so now that, see, now nobody can contest the will. Now nobody can actually argue what the will meant because Jesus not only died to give it strength, eternal strength by his blood, but he actually rose again so that he could actually seal it once and for all and say, let me tell you exactly what I meant. It's as good as what you think it is. It's better than what you think it is. And I can give you exceedingly abundantly of all you can ask or imagine. And that's who he, what he is. Praise God. My high priest, the one who died and rose again so that I could have a covenant that is unstoppable on the inside. Praise God. Let's keep going here. I'm getting all excited here. So he says, um, verse 18, Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and of the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the New Testament. Oh, excuse me. This is the blood of the testament which God has enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are purified by the uh, are, all things are by the law pure, purged with blood. Um, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. So here he gives us a picture. He goes, here's what Moses did. He took the covenant, which is the word of God. He took uh, all the articles of ministry for the, ta- for the tabernacle, and the people are all standing there. He reads the law, and then he takes, uh, you know, this, like a, it would be like a barbecue brush, you know what I'm talking about, to, 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 to you know, barbecue sauce or stuff. He takes a big old brush, a hyssop, and he dips it in some blood. Right, and then he just starts splattering blood everywhere. He's slinging it. He slings it all over the book, all over the the articles of, of ministry for the tabernacle, all over the tabernacle itself, all over the people. He just slathers it all over, and he says, "This blood." ratifies and joins you to the covenant. And so he's saying this same blood, and he is putting blood on everything. He's going, the same blood that touches this book, that touches the articles of the ministry, it touches the tabernacle, it touches the people. And in that same blood that carries the life of this of this thing, it actually joins everything. How much more, praise God, how much more now in the new covenant do we have the blood of Jesus himself? Oh, and when that blood is on us and in us, it joins us as one 
to the Word. It joins us as one to the Spirit. It joins us as one to the body of Christ. It joins us so we are all one. We all have the same blood. The life is in the blood. And it's we're not talking about the blood of a bull. We're not talking about the blood of a goat. Glory to God. We're talking about the blood of who? Jesus. That's right. The eternal, spotless blood of God Himself that joins us. That that life is now fueling our lives. And that life, that, that spotless, limitless blood is now fueling everything in us and actually joins us with His oneness. Oh my goodness. Oh, glory to God. Can you see it? This is the new covenant. This is what our high priest is doing. Oh, praise God. And so he goes on. Oh man, where did I leave off here? Okay, verse, uh, what was it? Uh, 22. And, oh, no, no, verse 23. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly, the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered in the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but in the heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So here he is. He's saying, oh, this is a huge statement, because he says that, that the, the heavenly things themselves had to actually be, be purified with Jesus' blood. Why in the world would, would the heavenly things need to be purified with Jesus' blood? Why would the, why would the heavenly things be, be corrupted to, to the point where they need to be purified with the blood of Jesus? Well, it was because of man, right? Man's sin. We know that, right? That man's sin actually affected heaven itself. And we know that, that, that because of man's sin... Man had legal right to go to heaven because he's a child of God, right? You know, Adam and Eve had legal right to go to heaven. They had legal right to do these things. But then because of man's sin, uh, they, they, they bowed their knee to the enemy and, and, and the devil took that place. And we see that obviously in the book of Job when, when Job is standing before God and he's accused, I mean, the, the devil is, is standing before God accusing Job. Right? We see in Revelation how, that, how that there, was, there was an accuser of the brethren who stood before God day and night and accused the brethren day and night. And now he was finally cast down when Jesus rose from the dead. Glory to God. And so here, I mean, it's a vile thing to think about this. That, that mankind, uh, uh, when they lost their position because of sin, that the devil took, took their position. And from that, for, for, I don't know, thousands of years or whatever, the devil could actually go before God and accuse the brethren. But now, glory to God, he can't do that anymore. Now what we have to do is realize that we don't need to accuse the brethren anymore. See, the, de the devil has no vo more voice before God. The devil has no more voice before God because we have a blood that cries out better things than that of Abel. We don't have a blood that's accusing anymore. We don't have a voice that's accusing anymore. We have a voice of reconciliation. We have a voice simply speaking of our childhood, of, of who we are with God. And, and now what we have to do, because our high priest ever lives to make intercession for us, we do the same thing. We care that same voice into the earth that we are children of God reconciling people back to God. Praise God because of our high priest. Now so he goes on. He says um, oh my goodness let me just keep going. Verse 24 um, but Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands which are the figures of the true but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for who? For us. Praise God. Once again his boldness is our boldness. Uh, it says, not, uh, not yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, Lord God, now, once, 
Once, I want to repeat that, once in the end of the world has he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die after that the judgment, so Christ was once offered to appear to, to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look, look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Glory to God. He's not dealing with sin anymore. He is the high priest over good things to come. He's the high priest over righteousness. He's the high priest over peace and joy and strength and grace and, and all these things. He is not the high priest of sin. He does not carry sin anymore. He dealt with sin once and for all. Sin is not even a part of his vocabulary. Sin doesn't even exist in heaven. And there's no sin in heaven, and therefore there should be no sin consciousness in us. And then chapter 10, let's keep going. I know we're, we're, praise God, we're getting a hold of this though. This is our high priest. Boldness, boldness, the boldness of Jesus, the boldness of our high priest, the boldness of the new covenant. This is all about God dealing with the effect of sin consciousness once and for all so that we do not think that we are even a part of sin anymore. We are a part of our high priest. And if our high, if our high priest is apart from sin, so are we. Glory to God. Sin doesn't have a vocabulary in heaven and it shouldn't have it in our life. Chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. So if he's saying that the that the that the the, the sacrifices in the old covenant couldn't make them perfect, then what should be happening now because of the new covenant? We should be made perfect. This is the whole goal of the new covenant is perfection. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more consciousness of sin. Now this is a huge statement to me. He's saying if the if <clears throat> If the old covenant, if the old covenant could have actually done the job, then it would have dealt with their consciousness. And it said, but they kept continually doing them every year because they continually had a consciousness of sin. So that kind of leads me to believe, I mean, picture this. Picture these guys. Let's say they do the sacrifice. Let's say it actually works. It actually does what the, what, you know, it actually deals with the consciousness of sins. Once the sacrifice would have been done, they would have no more consciousness of sin. And because they would have no more consciousness of sin, they would stand there going, what are we even doing here? What's this altar here for? What's all this blood around here for? What are these dead carcasses here for? They wouldn't even have any consciousness for the need of the sacrifice because they would have no more consciousness of sin. I want you to see how, how, how complete the, the, uh, the, the new covenant is. Because he's saying in the old covenant, if it would have worked, they would have had no more consciousness of sin, so they would have stopped doing the sacrifice because they wouldn't have any need for it. They would have sat there and said, what? Why are we even standing here? Why is there even a need for this? Because they would have no more consciousness of the need for even a sacrifice without the consciousness of sin. Oh, this is so huge. Just, just breathe that in a little bit. Just begin to take it in. How complete this is. How we're not actually wrestling with sin. We're not actually dealing with it where we're, we're having to constantly make sacrifice for sin. One sacrifice for sin for all. Praise God. That's what Jesus did. So here he says, verse 2, For then would they have not ceased to be offered, because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more consciousness of sins. 
But in these, in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sin every year. So he's saying, on the opposite side of it, every time they were doing the sacrifice, it was reminding them of why they did it. Every time they did it, it was reminding them of why. Every time it was like, oh, we're doing the sacrifice because of sin. We're doing it because of our own sin. We're doing it because we're separated from God. We're doing it because we are worthy of judgment and not of His goodness. And so they were doing this and it was reminding them over and over again. And you know that's still the trap today. That people can get involved with a works mentality so much that they will worship They'll pray, they'll read their word, they'll tithe, they'll give, they'll sow, they'll do all kinds of good things, but because they still have a sin consciousness, everything they're doing, they're trying to get closer to God through their behavior, and yet it's actually sowing the, the, the perception of separation every time. In other words, inwardly, they're going, I'm only giving because I, I feel like I'm separated from wealth. I, I'm only uh, worshiping because I feel like if I don't, then, then I'm not close to God. I'm only uh, praying because if I don't, I don't believe I'll have my knees met because if I don't pray enough, whatever. And everything we're doing carries with it sin consciousness and it reminds us of separation that should not ever be there. And we need to, we need to stop doing that. We need to begin to behold our high priest. Before you pray, behold your high priest. Before you give, behold your high priest. Before you worship, behold your high priest. Allow the sum of all things being our high priest to filter everything that we do. Okay? Now, he keeps going. He says, uh, But in those sacrifices there was remembrance again of sins every year. Verse 4, For it is not possible, it's impossible, that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offerings that was not but a body have I prepared you. Praise God. So he's, he's sitting there going, Listen, he goes, It just, it, it, uh, you know, he knew that, that it would never ever help anything to, to have more and more sacrifices like that because it's impossible that something with flesh and blood could redeem to the uttermost somebody made in the spirit like us. Um, okay, let's, uh, verse, uh, let's see. Um, verse 8, above when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for sin that wouldest not, neither has pleasure in therein, uh, which are offered by the law. Then says he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We are sanctified by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Glory to God. And every priest standing daily, ministering and offering, or oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Verse 12, but this man, glory to God, but this man, who's the man? Jesus is the man, right? Jesus is the man. But this man, Jesus, after he, Jesus, has offered up one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. One sin for oh glory. This is my high priest. He, if he's my high priest and he's my Lord and he's my Savior, then he defines my position. He defines my position with God. And here he says, he has sacrificed one sacrifice for sins forever, and now he's sat down at the right hand of God. And we are seated with him in heavenly places. Glory to God. It says, from, hen from henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering, he has past tense, perfected, past tense, forever them that are being sanctified. 
So there is this this uh, understanding that we have been perfected, and from that place of perfection, then we get sanctified. We are not being sanctified unto perfection. We're being sanctified from perfection. Praise God. It says, Wherefore the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for, for after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts, and I will write them in their minds. Um, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Why isn't there an offering for sin anymore? Why isn't there an offering for sin? It says, where, well, because it says, where the remission of there is, there's no more offering. There's no more need for an offering for sin. It's been paid for, right? I've, if I've already paid for my car, if I already own my car outright and I've paid for my car, then there's no more price to be paid for my car. There's no more price to be paid for sin anymore. It's already been paid for. We have to simply live like it's been paid for. We actually live that way. Right now, I have no more consciousness of making payments on my car or or how much do I owe on my car or, man, I better I, I can only drive my car a little bit because I still, I don't know. There's nothing owed on it. So I just... I just drive it. Praise God. I drive it with confidence and assurance it's been paid for. And that's how we have to have in, in this life. We have to have such boldness. It doesn't mean that we freely sin. It means that we don't sin because we're free. Glory to God. It means that I'm free from sin. Glory to God. I'm free from that law. Oh, and this is where we're leading to, right? Verse 19. <laughs> I love it. It says, Having therefore, having therefore, brethren, boldness. Everybody said boldness to enter into what? The holiest by the blood of Jesus. We're not talking about tabernacles. We're not talking about temples. We're not talking about Solomon's temple or Moses' tabernacle or blah, blah, blah. We're talking about the place in heaven. We're talking about God's holy throne room. We're talking about that place that only, only has holiness in every molecule of the air. There is no air there, but you know what I'm saying. In every molecule there, it's only holy. It only exudes holiness. And it says here we can have boldness. Praise God. Let me read that again. Having therefore, brethren, boldness. So do, do we have to get boldness or do we have boldness according to this verse? It says having therefore boldness. So we have it. It's available to us. It's right now in us. We have boldness because the same blood, the same blood that Jesus put on that, on that mercy seat, the same blood that he carried, the same blood that was his is the same blood that's in me, the same blood that I was ratified with, like Moses you know, uh, sprinkled the blood over everything and joined them all, I am joined with that blood. So the, the same blood that Jesus boldly came into the throne room with, that blood is in me. And so now I have that boldness in me. And now I have to choose to walk it out. I have to choose to take steps based on that boldness, taking steps worthy of that boldness, taking steps that require that boldness. And man, praise God, the, the, the first place we take those steps is into the holiest place. If, if we can take steps of boldness, of such boldness into the holy place, then we will never have a problem standing in boldness against the enemy or in any situation in life. Because if you can be bold in the place where it is the holiest of all, where there is no consciousness of sin at all, where God doesn't even put up with anything that's not pure, and you can have boldness in that place, you can have boldness anywhere. And we have, it says, having therefore boldness, to enter into that into the into the holiest by the blood by no by a new and living way 
This isn't about the death of bulls and goats. This isn't about dead things. This is about living things. Glory to God. It's not about something who died. It's not about the. It's not about the. the ah, it's not about the fact that Jesus died for me. It's the fact that He rose from me. He rose for me, so that I could actually have a new and a living way. That blood is alive. That blood is not dead. Jesus is not dead. My Savior is not dead. The sacrifice isn't dead. He's alive and He's resurrected. And He, I'm, I'm not coming in based on the death of an animal, but 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 but. But based on the living high priest, the living Jesus, that's how I come. That's why. That's how I speak. Praise God by a new and living way, which He has consecrated for us through the veil that is to say His flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Praise God with what a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Glory to God. Now, do you see that for the last three chapters, two and a half, three chapters, I mean, actually, all the way back into chapter 7, 7, 8, 9, a good way through 10 here, you see the high priest, the high priest, the high priest. And it's not about, not about the power of sin, it's about, it's about the strength of man. See, sin needs our strength to actually live in the earth. If I don't yield to sin, sin has no more strength in the earth because sin is not the strong thing. I'm the strong thing. You know, and it's just like, it's like if I, um, if I took my car, you know, weighs like three, 4,000 pounds or whatever, I could take that car and ram it through a storefront window, right? But, you see, so, so that car could ram through some plate steel and some drywall and whatever and just ram through a storefront window. And, uh, but it's not, it's not the strength, of, you understand this? Okay, let me get this. It, it was, it, just because I'm behind the wheel... I'm not strong enough to go through that plate glass window or, or go through that, that storefront window, but my car is. And that's what you need to understand is that we are the ones, I'm talking about, we, we'd be like the car. Sin needs to catch a ride with us. And if we yield, then we're allowing sin to actually drive us into things that can destroy things in the earth. Because sin isn't strong. We are strong. Sin uses our strength just like I use the strength of my car to do something. And so what sin does is it asks our permission to use our strength. Sin is not strong. We are strong, praise God. And if we understand our strength, and, and we actually we will only know the fullness of our strength when we come boldly to the throne of God and allow God to reveal how strong we really are. And He reveals our strength to us by the very nature of our high priest because He's so just that He says, if, I, if it took that much to buy you, then that's how much you're worth. If it took that much to redeem you, then that's how much you're worth. If it took that much to actually save you to the uttermost, then that's how deep you are. That's how that's how anointed you are. That's how fearfully and wonderfully made you are. Praise God. And, and when we begin to understand that, then we can come boldly, receive freely, give freely everything that, that, that has been designed for us to steward and to govern forever. This is seriously not about this earth. This is not about the law of sin and death. This has never been about those things. It's about forever and ever and ever and ruling and reigning as children of the Most High God. And we do that and we hold fast our profession because Jesus himself is our high priest. 
And when we look at Jesus, we see who we are as our reflection. And so I just I just want to encourage you right now. Just just go back through these things. Go back through Hebrews chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, especially 8, 9, and 10, and just looking at who he is and knowing that it's, he's, he is that because of how we were designed. This is not a, he did not come to defeat sin. He came to redeem me. Okay, he didn't. He did not. He didn't come just to, to take away. I mean, you, oh my goodness. Okay, um, the profession of our faith is not about uh, overcoming sin. That high priest, what he would do in the Old Testament is he would he he did, he did two things in the Old Testament. He would. Uh, take the blood in and he would make the sacrifice for the people and then he would turn and he would pray over the nation of Israel because now that the sin had been taken care of now he can pray from a place of 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 presumed righteousness and he could pray the blessing from strength instead of from sin and now we have a high priest that ever lives ever make ever lives to make intercession for us and here it says to hold fast our profession of faith that means that now that sin has been totally taken care of now we need to to speak not from a uh, not from combating sin not from trying to take not not from trying to wrestle with sin all that stuff now we do now we speak and we act totally free from sin and now we steward things into the earth based on our high priest based on a covenant that is pure based on righteousness instead of sin conscious by a new and living way praise god Oh, glory to God. Well, we need to wrap it up. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Father, we just worship you. We thank you, Lord God, just for your goodness. We thank you, Lord God. This is your way. This is the highest way. Father, we just thank you right now. We submit and we humble ourselves to who you designed us to be, fearfully and wonderfully made. We humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We humble ourselves to the high priest. We humble ourselves, Father God, to, to who you designed for us, Lord God. We humble ourselves to the ministry of our high priest, Lord God. And right now, we just thank you. Teach us how to come in boldly. We acknowledge that boldness is on the inside of us. We acknowledge our place in the throne. We acknowledge our place in the holiest of all. Father God, we just thank you that we come in by a new and living way, and we speak, Father God, into this earth. Father God, not based on sin, not combating these things, but speaking life into the earth, Lord God, by, by the, the, the high priest and by the covenant of children of the Most High God. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Thanks for joining us today on Wisdom and Stuff. Don't forget to subscribe to get new updates and check out our podcast page on Podbean to find all our previous posts and full-length messages. We'll see you next time and have a blessed day.